This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. You're listening to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White, along with my great friend, Carol Puckett. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Mal. You know, it's Monday morning. It's kind of cool out there. Today, I think we ought to talk about corn and okra. Not just I'm all any. in for that. I know you are. <laughs> Not just any corn and okra, but good old Mississippi homegrown, right? Sometimes people love to make cream corn. I've heard fried corn, corn pudding, corn chowder, cornbread, and, of course, everybody's favorite this time of year, corn on the cob. And in terms of okra, some people like it fried, some like it pickled, and some just like it plain slimy with stewed tomatoes, like me. No matter which way you like it, we want you to call us and talk to us about how you like your corn and your okra. We'll also have Mississippi acclaimed chef Enrica Williams join us later on to talk about her latest culinary adventure. And speaking of culinary adventures, Carol, how was your weekend? My weekend was filled with corn, Malcolm. <laughs> it was Wait. it was too hot to fish. Was it a corny weekend? It was it was a corny weekend. I had a a bushel of corn that oh. would be 48 ears. I, I counted them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we had a corn pudding, mm-hmm. cream corn, corn chowder. I know it was hot, but I had to try the recipe. Wow. And then I put up about uh, 30 of the, the remaining 40 years. 48 ears of corn. You, it wore you down. It and did. so you just put it up. Yeah. Well, corn is in, and uh, all the farmer markets are full of beautiful corn. Uh, we'll talk about kinds of corn and that uh, Silver Queen, the sweet corn, and there are many varieties. We'll talk about that later. Uh, in terms of, of what I cooked, uh, in my house, we did have one corn dish over the weekend, and it was a corn salad that Kara made. And she made it with some really great sweet um, cherry tomatoes. And honestly, the cherry tomatoes were almost as sweet as the white corn, and it was great. There were onions and garlic and parsley and peppers and other things in the salad. But, I mean, it was terrific. And that's one of the beauties of this time of year. But you also spent part of your weekend putting up lady peas and butter bins. Well, it was last week my friend Donna Barksdale and her daughter uh, Megan Clapton and our friend Rosa Pena, we put up two bushels of lady peas and a bushel of lima beans. It was one of those old-timey gatherings in the kitchen of the four of us work, and it really didn't take that much time. We had a ball, and we were doing it in honor of Donna's mother, Lois Kennedy, who was one of the best cooks that we know from McGee, Mississippi. Yes, indeed. And she put up lady peas every summer. And, and so we did it in her honor. And she knows a lot about the Smith County phenomenon. Yes, being yes. Down in the McGee area. Uh, well, that's great. You know, I cooked uh, th- some peas over the weekend. Well, actually, Kara cooked these peas. Uh, and they were pink eyes that I had gotten down at the farmer's market, and they were delicious. She cooked them with uh, chicken broth. Okay. And when I cook peas, I tend to put a bit of onion and garlic in it, and she just goes uh, salt, pepper, chicken broth, and and the peas. She's basic. They're very good, very, very good. Uh, You know, it was uh, kind of a weird week this past week. We we lost uh, two giants uh, in the food world, a local giant, 
uh, as well as a global giant. Uh, the food world lost uh, the great Molly O'Neill, uh, who was a friend of Carol's and a person that I have known socially and spent a little time with. But locally, we also uh, lost Roger Penn of Penn's Catfish. Uh, as and far truly as a giant in the Mississippi culinary scene. No doubt. Uh, yes, he was famous for catfish and Penn's restaurants, but the chicken on the stick, it, it, Mr. Penn is credited for creating uh, and providing all of Mississippi. A lot of festivals, a lot of drive-ins, a lot of restaurants uh, featuring the uh, the very uh, sort of localized uh, uh, chicken on a stick. It, it contained onions, dill pickles, and chicken piece, pieces, cubes, and all deep fried in a magnificent, golden, tasty, salty, fabulous dish that you could walk around with at the State Fair or at Jubilee Jam or any other event. And it has been much imitated and, and has found its way all over all over Mississippi now. Absolutely. So Molly was a was a great friend of yours. Tell us a little bit about uh, Molly Molly O'Neill and and her work. Molly was one of the most important food writers of you know, the last thirty years, and she was actually born in Columbus, Ohio. She was mm. the only girl in six children, and I bring this up because her brother was the famous Paul O'Neill, the Baseball. right fielder for the Yankees, yes. but. Baseball was her family uh, tradition, even back to her great-grandfather, played in, in early leagues. Uh, but you know, Molly grew up cooking for her brothers and um, just had, had quite an interesting—she was a bigger-than-life person. Right. But what she's really known for, she was the uh, food editor for the New York Times for many years, for the New York Times Sunday Magazine— and her book, uh, New York Cooking, won uh, a James Beard Award. And and Molly really talked about neighborhood food before neighborhood food, food was cool. She right. was going around talking to the butcher and the baker. But uh, it, as years, you know, as the years went on, she was said to tease the extraordinary out of the ordinary. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I first met her. In Memphis, Tennessee, I was I, w- I was given the job of quote handling Molly <laughs> <laughs> when when she worked for she was doing a big story for uh, for New Yorker for the New York yeah New Yorker the yeah. New Yorker the magazine yeah and I didn't handle her her very well she she would not be handled she wouldn't do right and you know <laughs> I decided okay if you if you don't want to be handled. Um, I said, I'm going to the B.B. King Club to dance. <laughs> and, you know, when she had professed, I don't want to be handled. I don't want anybody to talk to me, blah, 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 blah. Huh. So I turned around on the dance floor, and there was Molly O'Neill. <laughs> and, you know, the next morning, is, you know, this was a big life moment. It was the day, September 11th, when the planes hit the towers, and mm. she was actually in my room at the Peabody using my computer. And... We left Memphis, and you know we had to spend a whole week together, you know, because planes weren't running, and it was just that quiet pall yeah. over America. And anyway, we stayed at, at a Viking Range guest house in Greenwood, and we're together for a week, and it just cemented a, a friendship that's that lasted over the decades, and you know went from the west coast to the east coast, and. 
where you met her was at the Southern Foodways Alliance in Oxford, where she was the speaker. Yeah, and we all hung out for the weekend, and it was a whole lot of fun. By then, y'all had bonded big time. Oh, yeah. We had bonded. uh, (laughs) She didn't mind being handled. No, uh, she didn't (laughs) mind being handled. I mean, to the point of she called me one day and said, I've scored a pound of white truffles. Why don't you come up here? And for some reason, I went went out and got on an airplane in Jackson and flew to Albany, New York, and drove to her home in upstate New York in Rensselaerville. And we had a truffle fest. It was kind of like my corn fest I was going to say. Uh-huh. And what dishes did y'all make with well, those white truffles? Well, I mean, truffles? she did everything from truffles and scrambled eggs to mm-hmm. a roast turkey with the truffle dressing. And it involved many other people coming and going over the truffle weekend. But those it was some great food memories. And we've talked about food memories. Absolutely, yeah. And we were interested in hearing from listeners who have food memories, uh, stories about people in their lives, their families, friends, loved ones, related to food and to cooking and to food adventures. Um, you know, Molly had a heck of a job. She followed in the footsteps of the great Craig Claiborne from the Mississippi Delta, who was the food editor for the New York Times. She did. And actually, the first time I met her, I did not remember her at the time. She actually was with Craig Claiborne when he was pushing his book. I can't remember. Was it A Feast Made for Laughter? That was one, yeah. And then there was Mississippi Cookbook, I think. Molly actually came to my store, The Everyday Gourmet, with Craig Claiborne to, to sign books. but. In honor of her, I cooked Molly O'Neill's corn pudding this weekend. Oh and boy! I'm please, gonna, I'm, I'll post it. It's it's an easy. Well, not only dish. post it. Tell us about it. What what's in the Molly O'Neill corn? Did you say souffle? Well, it's actually a pudding. I, uh-huh. um, but the thing the thing that you really have to know about corn pudding is to really make it work. You need to submerge the dish in a bigger dish of hot water. It's like, you know, the French call a bain-marie. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm, I made it in like an oval roasting, uh, oval copper roasting pan, and then I put it in a uh, big roasting pan and poured hot water around it, so it really made it custardy, and it wow. was delicious. Sweet. Sweet corn. So sweet. sweet corn. Mm. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, love to hear from you. Uh, if you have a corn recipe or an idea of how to use your corn, call us. Let us know what's going on. And then we're going to talk about a very controversial southern vegetable, the old okra. And everybody loves or hates it. doesn't matter to us. We love it. Call us. Talk to us about your okra if you want to talk about corn or anything else that's going on in your kitchen. one 877 Or you can email us to food at mpbonline.org org. and when we come back we're going to talk to Tom Pitts from Indianola he's going to talk about the Delta Sweet Corn and why it is such a prized possession to have from the coast to Canada stay tuned we'll talk about corn and okra be right back with Carol Puckett Jessamine Ward. People like to reduce us to our trauma. As writers, as artists, we're pushing back against that. You know, yes, we are reckoning with our trauma, but we're not just our trauma. Right on Mississippi, a podcast. Download now at mpbonline.org from the Mississippi Book Festival and MPB. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White here with my great friend, Carol Puckett. Hello, Carol. Hello, Mal. It's Monday. It's Monday morning. So, you know, we want to hear from people who are listening to the show. 
And uh, they can reach us at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or they can email us to food at mpbonline.org. Join the conversation. Today we're talking about corn, we're talking about okra, and really we're talking about whatever people want to talk about because this is their, their food show. show. You and I are just a conduit. We're just the host. We're waiting for all of greater Mississippi and parts of Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana, to and Alabama to give us a call and talk to us about what's cooking in their kitchens. So one of the things that's uh, hot on our agenda is is Silver Queen corn, and Mississippians just absolutely are crazy about Silver Queen corn. They ask for it by name, uh, and it is one, but it is only one, really, of, of many great sweet corn varieties out there. Well, Silver Queen has a mystique to it, and um, really, just like what you said, now everybody thinks sweet corn is Silver Silver Queen corn, but but. Silver Queen is a white corn. You know, in the South, we we used to turn our backs on white corn. We were all yellow corn people. Okay. Until Silver Queen corn came along. And now, uh, you know, some of the farmers say people come in and ask for Silver Queen, and they won't get anything anything else when, in fact, there are just all sorts of other sweet corns, like, Country Gentleman and Honey and Cream, which is Ooh. a bicolor corn. And my favorite name, I've never had this, is Bodacious. Oh, Bodacious corn. Yeah, Platinum mm. Lady, uh, which is a, another white a white corn. But to me, some of the best corn in Mississippi is grown up in the Mississippi Delta. Uh-huh. And, you know, I lived up there for a while, and I, I would drive to Indianola to pick up my corn it's kind of a, a tradition, and in the parking lot would be people from Memphis or Arkansas. Um, there's just a, a big truck that sits. We're not talking about a pickup truck. No, we are talking about a refrigerated truck. Eighteen-wheeler. An, an eighteen-wheeler. And, and people coming from far and wide. From far and wide, and it's the only place it's retailed. And I believe we have Tom Pitts, the farmer who grows this corn. The Sunflower County farmer who grows the legendary corn of which you speak. Yes, and, and we've talked so much about small growers mm-hmm. that I thought it would be good to talk to somebody that's a commercial grower but whose corn goes all over the country. Great. Uh, do we have Tom on the phone? Love to talk yeah, to you. Doing? Hey, man, how you doing? How are I'm things? Along just fine. Yeah, how are things in Sunflower County this morning? Well, well, we got a whole lot of rain last night, about three and a half inches, so it's wet. Is I that hope good? that doesn't affect affect taking the corn uh, out of the field today. No, we'll we'll go at it no matter what. We are uh, our, our farm is actually over on uh, our, just uh, north of Arcola on Deer Creek. It's a separate farming operation than my own personal farm. Ah, it's, okay. a, it's a 650 acre vegetable farm, and we have about 200 acres of sweet corn that we harvest a, a couple of months in the middle of the summer. Other times of the year, we're we're uh, growing collard, kale, mustard, turnip, cilantro, parsley, zucchini, and other things. Well, you can send that down to us too. But <laughs> <laughs> I know I know that you are so known for you know for the sweet corn and. Um, Tell us a little bit about where the well, what makes your corn different, and where does it go, and why can't well, we get more? Well, we grow a uh, we grow a 
Cumberland and Obsession Bicolor corn. And we have grown white corn in the past, but we like the Bicolor, Cumberland, and Obsession. And we ship for, we have shipped to 30 states and into Canada in the past, and we've been in business about oh, close to 15 years. But what makes our corn, you know, heat is the enemy to sweet corn. And as soon as you can get the heat out of it, the the sweeter it is because you capture all the sweetness. And so as soon as we harvest our corn, uh, we, we put it in a crate. It's approximately 48 ears in a crate, and we put 42 crates on a pallet. And we'll run these pallets through a hydrocooler tunnel, and it, it, it uh, puts out about 4,000 gallons of water uh, per minute. A 34 degree water, and the, these pallets will stay in this tunnel for 30 minutes. And as soon as they come out of that, it, it knocks the heat out of it immediately. And as soon as we pull it out of the hydrocooler, we put it in a refrigerated warehouse that's 34 degrees. And we leave it there at least one night, and, pro- and, and in many cases, two. And then anytime we ship it, it goes into a transport truck that is also cooled down to 34 degrees, and we we spray ice on top of it. We have an ice machine that makes sixty to eighty thousand pounds of ice per day. One of the biggest ice uh, makers in the state of Mississippi. Wow! And where are your markets? I mean, outside of this roadside affair that Carol's uh, interested in. Well, we, we ship to Walmart. So we we ship to Kroger, Super Value, and a lot of other uh, uh, smaller retail chain grocery stores all all up and down the east coast and 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 like i said 30 different states Mm -hmm. we retail just a little bit of this so the local people can uh get a taste of it it's just uh, tom you do that as a a mission of mercy for the people (laughs) (laughs) that's right it's not a money maker that's for sure well uh tell tell all of our listeners where the truck is and how long the the corn will be there because I, for one, have been devastated to drive to Indianola um, some years and the corn is already gone. Well, the first thing is before you before you go drive this far, you should call our office and it's six six two eight eight seven four five five one to make sure we are there. But we're we're we almost always have corn and we're open six days a week from uh, seven thirty in the morning till six. Uh, in the evening, uh, Monday through Saturday. And we're located uh, one block east of the B.B. King Museum, so we're not that hard to find. You just follow the signs to the B.B. King Museum. We're one block east at 510 2nd Street, and there's a warehouse there that we back up to the dock of this warehouse. The, the corn stays in the refrigerated truck until we put it in your car. And it's, uh, it's 510 2nd Street. It has Pitts Chemical written on the warehouse. But it's not that hard to find. It's $25 a box, and there are approximately 48 ears in a box. I met all 48 ears this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I I came up Thursday and bought uh, two bushels, one I gave away and one I helped myself to. And what is the season? How long does this phenomenon last? Well, we usually start around June 15th, and, and uh, the retail usually quits somewhere around the 10th to the 15th of July. It, it can go on longer than that, but but if you want to be assured of getting some sweet corn, it's, it's probably best to come by the 10th or whatever uh, 
whatever a Friday or Saturday is right around the 10th. I think the 4th is on a Thursday this year, so it'll probably be there till about the 11th or 12th for sure. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Tom. Uh, I have a secret way of finding out the corn being here in Jackson. Malika Polk Lee, who is the executive director of the B.B. King Museum, ah. drives down and looks. So she called me last week and said the corn is in. But I have my spies out. I love this connection between B.B. King, the B.B. King Museum, and, and this corn. corn. This yeah, is great. It's great. It's a neighborhood thing. That's right. Well, so, it's and you know, it's a very small place. Tom, how BB King Museum borders uh, my office here. How has all of this rain affected your corn crop this year? Well, we we're on some of the finest land in the Mississippi Delta on in, on Deer Creek, which uh, is known for the finest land in the Mississippi Delta, which is some of the finest land in the United States. And and you can get in this uh, corn uh, these fields. Pretty much immediately after a rain, the soil's so good. So we've been able to weather all these storms, whereas other people probably hadn't. So this is probably some of the sweet corn that's uh, around that usually you find uh, more on roadside parts. It probably isn't available as much this year because of all the rain. Gotcha. But you're there, you're strong, and you got plenty. That's right. we got plenty. Got it right now. We're selling today. All right. Well, Tom, thanks for calling in. We appreciate the good work that you do up there in Sunflower and the Deer Creek area uh, around the Mississippi sweet corn. And and uh, and we'll call you back when it's kale season. Absolutely. We want to get in on some of these <laughs> okay. other crops. Well, I usually don't sell retail on anything but sweet corn. Oh, well. Okay. Good try, Carol. Good try. Number one more time, because I yeah, know your uh, audience it. is wide uh, spread, and, and they need to call 662 662- Eight eight seven four five five one. Before they make the drive, just to make sure we got it, we almost always have it. There's only been a few occasions over the last fifteen years where we've had to wait a day or two. Okay. So, but we, but it's plenty right now, and I think it's going to stay that way. Excellent. Thanks so much for your information and the good work that you do, and we'll check in with you later, Tom. Thanks. Well, Carol, what is your favorite corn recipe? I know you've got a lot. You know, Malcolm, I I think it would have to be cream corn. Yeah, and that's just shaving it, butter, and, salt, pepper, and taking the back of of the knife yeah, after and scraping you, and scraping the cob and getting the milk, uh-huh. uh huh, the milk off the cob. What's your favorite? Well, I had this dish that I once made out in California in the early seventies. I think it was about seventy three I was living out there. A friend of mine was a was a radio guy and he would get different jobs and one of his jobs took him to this little town of King City, California, and literally he lived in a trailer behind the radio station in the middle of a garlic field. And that part oh of the my, world was that around Gilroy? Yes. Gilroy is the garlic capital of the world. And this area of California is known as the salad bowl of America. This is where lettuce and radishes and cucumbers and garlic and many, many, many of the vegetables that we eat are grown in this fertile, beautiful country. Uh, between what we think of as Southern California and Northern California. But I found myself on this weekend in King City, and I found some local corn, and I took it back to the trailer, and I got some of the garlic out of the field, and I sauteed garlic and onions and then cut the corn into it, and I had some fresh tomatoes, and I cubed those all up, juice and all, and poured those over into the corn, 
the onions and the garlic, salt, pepper, and I let it cook down, and it was a magnificent dish that I love, and it's still to this day one of my favorites. Well, I'd like to come over and sample that, but, you know, you could have entered it in the Gilroy Garlic Festival, which which is a very famous and old festival because Gilroy does proclaim themselves the garlic capital of the world, and I bet you would have had a winner. Well, maybe next year. Maybe that. Maybe there's a road trip there, Carol. There could we, be. We take my corn, tomato, garlic, and onion recipe to Gilroy, and California. And take it on the road. Why not? So do we have time for a caller, job, or do we want to take a break? Let's take a caller. We've got uh, Flinch from Indianola on the phone. What's going on? Hey, good morning. It's Flinch. Hey, Flinch. Um, <laughs> Couple, uh, one quick thing. I don't know if either one of y'all uh, have gotten to know Ron Shapiro from the Hoka in Oxford. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. I believe we know him. <laughs> Ronzo? Of course we do. Uh, yeah. Ron's got a little health hiccup going on, so y'all keep him in your thoughts and prayers. We'll do we'll that. Do I that. didn't know that. Um, and uh, your last guest probably could have attested to this. Uh, Tom was an Eagle Scout under my dad. And uh, last week somebody told you about uh, using, I think it was a knife, for the pot liquor to drain correctly. Right. Uh, my dad uh, said, let's use this useless uh, extra fork to the left. <laughs> and with that being a little bit thicker than the, the knife handle and flat, uh, it drained everything uh, to your cornbread real nicely. Excellent. That's a great tip. Now, you're talking about the salad fork? Okay, the yes, useless fork, use, the, <laughs> the small fork. fork. <laughs> but, uh, Malcolm, I love that pot liquor has become a theme, I think, it is. for the past four or five weeks. Somebody has called in and talked about uh, pot liquor, and what do we call it, the champagne of the South? The champagne of the South, and the most important ingredient in the pot. I mean, the peas and beans are really interesting, and, the, you know, if we're stewing okra and tomatoes. But the pot liquor, mm, that's what we're talking about. Thanks for your call, Flinch, and we appreciate the update on Ronzo. Keep him in our thoughts and prayers. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Chef Enrica Williams about her recent trip to New York to cook for the James Beard House dinner, which is indeed a high honor. We always want to hear from you, one 672 7464 Feel free to email us, to food at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. Carol and I will be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. We understand that many Monday mornings are hectic and busy, and if you don't have time to listen to our entire show or past episodes, feel free to go to our website, mpbonline.org backslash Deep South Dining, or simply subscribe to the podcast using MPB Public Media app or any podcast app, and you can listen to us endlessly throughout the week and not just on Monday mornings. Before we go uh, to our conversation with Chef Enrica Williams, we're going to take a call. We have another caller on the phone. We have Bill from Greenwood, Mississippi. Hey, Bill. Hey, uh, I was listening about the corn, and I was wondering, uh, uh, did he say that you could buy it in like, the grocery store? Because, you know, I, I, I really couldn't buy a case. 
And how long would a case keep in your refrigerator? I mean, well, your big refrigerator. How long would it stay good, the corn? You know, uh, not very long, would it? I don't think very long. Um, yeah, the thing about sweet corn is if if you hold it too long, the the sugar turns to starch. But if I were you, I would do what some of my other Delta friends do. They buy a bushel for $25.00. And then uh, play corn bandit or corn gifter to all their friends, and take take your friends six ears at a time, and put it on their front porch, yeah. knock on the door or ring the doorbell, and leave. It's very prized. In fact, the way I got my first Delta corn was uh, a, a friend from Greenwood actually brought a case as a hostess gift. Wow. So there you go. And and also, Bill, you know, you can always cook what you want to cook, share what you want to share, and then put the rest of it up. Now, you, Carol, you put up yours. Tell, tell Bill how you put, I put your I just brought, uh, got a pot of water up to a rolling boil and, you know, shucked my corn, uh, cut the ends off to kind of, to make mm-hmm. it look neat, uh, dropped it in the boiling water for five minutes to blanch it cooled it off in some cold water with ice and then stuck it in a Ziploc bag. Now, Chef Williams, do you agree with that process? I I think that's a good process. Um, Usually when I shuck corn, I've seen seen a video where they cut off the end of the corn stalk Mm -hmm. and they actually put it in the microwave for like two minutes. And then what they do is after it comes out of the microwave, they stand it up and literally... They just pull the whole thing off, all the husk, all the silk. Nothing is left but the corn. It's very clean. Yeah, so, I've seen that yeah. that technique. And you know, what you do is cut off the bottom mm-hmm. because that's where the, the mm-hmm. silk originates. It's mm-hmm. attached to the, to the bottom yes, of the corn. Yes, and then you grab the tapered end, mm-hmm. with, usually with a hot hot right, pad or, 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 or something. Right. Then you kind of jiggle it, mm-hmm. jiggle, wiggle, and the corn just comes slides out. Slides right out. It just slides yep. out. It is absolutely perfect, not one corn silk That is under. true. I've seen it, so I think I'm going to try that process as opposed to the way that I saw my grandma do it, which is pulling it and then uh, like screwing it to get yeah. the shock right. off because it's still stuck. It still sticks. you got to so, get a few strands. Yeah, you get a few strands. Right. That's just text. Okay, Chef Williams, this is a tip I learned that you probably know too. I think I saw this on television one time. Is You actually take a bunt pan mm-hmm. and when you're cutting your corn off the cob mm-hmm. you, you stick one end in the hole mm-hmm. in the bunt pan and then you you know take your knife and, and cut your kernels off and it all falls in into the, the bunt pan because you know how it is when you're yeah, doing it, it shoots they're straight everywhere. yeah it shoots everywhere but it really works i'm going to try the bunt pan because normally what i do is use um either a bowl and i stand the corn up the same way so that it was contains my own way the, yeah so it contains the kernels so they won't go everywhere but i like that bunt pan idea with the hole so it stays center as you cut it. So we're talking corn, y'all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's the season. And in the studio with us, uh, speaking already, is Chef Enrique Williams. And Chef Williams uh, has a uh, a new uh, restaurant, culinary offering called Fauna. And mm-hmm. it is in the new Cultivation Hall mm-hmm. in Jackson, right off of I-55. And it's, what's the name of the development? 
um, Cultivation Food Hall, and it's um, the district. The district, yes. yes. And it's in that same area mm-hmm. is Fine and Dandy right. and a bunch of other stuff. But anyway, tell us a little bit about uh, your coming to the food world. Uh, you grew up in West Point, I is did. that right? So, was, so you're from the prairie. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I grew up uh, in West Point, Mississippi. And uh, my family, actually, the center of my family is still there. A lot of on both sides of my family, my dad and my mom are both from the area. And then we moved to Jackson when I was in the fifth grade. And um, so a lot of my culinary blueprint, so to speak, started um, just in community. I'm watching my grandma. My grandfather had a, a garden in the backyard. My grandma had chickens. Um, she was also a consummate entertainer. She had her ladies' club meeting, so it was just <laughs> I was just always surrounded by food and community, and food was such a big part of all of the events in our lives. Well, you must be an artist too, because you you attended the Art Institute in Atlanta, didn't you? I did. I went to the Art Institute in Atlanta. Um, I do tend to think of myself more as a creative because I understand a lot of the the concepts and the things that I like to do or the things that inspire me with food is not just centered with food. I enjoy going to museums and I read a lot. I enjoy movies and music and forms of expression. So for me, um, food is a medium in which I get to express myself. And you've had the great honor of working with all sorts of famous, notable chefs like Emerald and Gordon Ramsay and Sean Brock. And, and then you worked after, I guess, finishing at the Institute in Atlanta, you, you worked at the Greenbrier and also locally at Parlor Market, which is a place that has birthed many mm-hmm. great aspiring chefs in the Jackson metro area and many restaurants have, have opened as a result mm-hmm. of the Parlor Marker explosion. Yes. So talk a little bit about that that part of your life. So Parlor Market to me was perfect in the timing um, of how that came to be. I was actually working in Atlanta and I graduated from culinary school and I was just working in the industry there and actually my brother and myself, when I would come home, we would always go to downtown Jackson just looking at the developments and what's about to happen and so he noticed this building with a sign that was, it was just a piece of paper like soon coming Parlor Market restaurant. And so he sent me that and he was like, you should check this out. I was like, what is it? <laughs> and so I got the email address and that was Craig Noon. And so I emailed him <laughs> this elaborate email about me being from Jackson, how I love Jackson downtown and the revitalization and wanted to be a part of this concept and I wanted to meet him. So I, so he responded immediately. He was like, when can you come home? We had an interview. I met Craig. He showed me. This was when it was dirt and it was in construction. And he yeah. was pointing out all of the future spaces inside of Parlor Market. And he offered me the job on the spot. So after that, I was given such creative liberty, such freedom to create all of these things, like all of the stuff that I had in my brain. <laughs> I was given a space 
to put it on a plate. So I worked with um, Ryan Bell and Jesse Houston. I worked with Grant, um, the guy. I'm sorry, Grant. I can't remember your last name. He Grant, owns Pig and Pint. <clears throat> Grant Noe? No, no. 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 He, were, um, he owns Pig and Pint. Okay. And Fondren, the barbecue spot. Yeah, sure. And uh, Reynolds Boykin and even Gary Hawkins from um, Crazy Cat. Mm-hmm. I think that's where he is now. So we all worked together. So it was just such a space where creatively um, it was just, I think the term someone used was like lightning in a bottle because it was just an amazing space to and, be in. And then from there, you yeah. ended up at the Craig Beard House in New York. And you've just gotten back from that trip. <laughs> <laughs> this woman is is on a roll. Malcolm, it's typical of you. You've married Craig Claiborne to James Beard. It is not the Craig Beard House. Oh, sorry. It is, it is the James Beard House. He always has Craig Claiborne. I always do. <laughs> Claiborne on the, on the brain. But yeah, James Beard was uh, a very famous culinary expert. Mm-hmm. He actually died in 1985. Mm-hmm. And a group of his friends preserved his, his home in New York. And now uh, dinners are held there. Mm-hmm. This is a society held nightly. And it's one of the highest honors for a chef Absolutely. to be invited to cook at the Beard House. Absolutely. And we just honor you and are so excited Thank for you. you that you had that opportunity. So tell us about it. So um, this opportunity of my returning is actually the second time that I've been um, in a year. The first time I was initially invited was with Carla Hall with the publishing of her Southern Cookbook her Southern Food Cookbook. So she did a dinner there that was in November 2018. So it was myself, Carla, and several other chefs, and we each reinterpreted one of her recipes from the book. So the initial time and this time of being at the Beard House are still one and the same because even when you walk up to the house and you see the placard outside of the building, and you walk inside and you see the wallpaper and you see the kitchen and you see the cookbooks and you just feel all of this this energy and this presence it is just it is an amazing feeling um the staff there are very accommodating. Um, they give you the room and the space to do what you do. The kitchen is pretty it's, small. Well, I was going to ask you yeah. if the kitchen is just the tiny. The kitchen I is nice. It, the kitchen is cozy, but for me and my head wraps, you know, I can move around pretty, pretty fluidly in the kitchen. But everything that you need, as far as equipment and cast irons and stove pots and pans and mandolins and a cabinet full of spices and cookbooks that are accessible if you wanted to go and look through them like they there's no space in the house that's off limit when you're an invited guest they welcome you to explore and touch things and just be a part of it so it's it was um it was such an adrenaline rush that I'm now just processing being (laughs) there because everything was so fast um, but it was amazing. And it was celebrating Juneteenth, yes, right? Yes. All right, we're going to take a break. This is our last break. When we, come, when we do come back, we're going to ask Enrica to hang with us, and we're going to sure. talk about 
the voyage that took you to New York and then to Austin, Texas, and now home. She's on a whirlwind tour, y'all. So, <laughs> and we've got to talk about okra. And we're going to get you to talk about okra and corn okay. as well. I mean, why not? Okay. So we'll be we're going to take a break. One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you want to call, otherwise we'll just sit here and talk with Carol and Enrica. Thanks. <laughs> you're listening to Deep South Dining. We'll be right back. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett and Chef Enrico Williams. Welcome back, Chef. Thank you. So glad you're here. Do you even know where you are? I do. You've been moving about a lot. (laughs) I do. I I, I woke up this morning like, oh, it's so nice to be home in my own bed. And then it's like, I have a lot to do today. You do. And and the restaurant just runs along merrily while you're off. I have an awesome team. I have an awesome team um, that makes sure that I am taken care of, that our customers are taken care of, that um, that the products that we have there, the food that we get to share that um, those offerings with people, because our menu, I think a lot of times is a little uh, different. So Mm -hmm. it gives us. Opportunity well, to tell talk. us a little bit about uh, Fauna. So Food Fauna Works. Food Works is, again, a mashup of things that that are pretty much my personality, a lot of things that I grew up with, mm-hmm. people that I've met in traveling and being in school, places that I want to go, um, things that have inspired me. So what I wanted to do was my background is fine dining, but I wanted to do food that was fun and approachable and a way to marry technique with really good product in a fun way. And I think that's what kind of took, that's what kind of geared me towards street food or carnival food or things because people seem to really respond to things they remember from a carnival or they're going to a food truck mm-hmm. or something that's mobile and fun. So I wanted to marry all of that together. We were well, talking about chicken on the stick earlier yeah, because yeah. we lost Mr. Yeah. Penn. There, there's some street food that, for you. That is, that is iconic street food. I can't remember going to the Mississippi State Fair without getting a chicken on the stick. There were certain things that you got when you went to the State Fair. And one of those things <laughs> was the chicken on the stick. Absolutely. Yes. I'm a big fan of your Moroccan cauliflower. Thank and, you. And your roasted sweet potato soup. Thank you. Yeah. Those The sweet potato soup for me, of course, being a Mississippian, and I love sweet potatoes. And I think that's one of the ingredients that people associate a lot with Mississippi. And I wanted to do something that was going to be fun and healthy without being preachy to people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I want to incorporate like the boiled peanuts and the coconut bacon because, you know, I understand people like fat and salt, but I wanted it to be a twist on it and also accessible to people who don't eat meat products and they didn't feel like they're missing out. And the meat eaters can enjoy it too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you use okra? Of you know? course. Okay. Of course. I actually have a, I actually have a dish that is um, our Ghanaian chop bar. And what the Ghanaian chop bar is, it is inspired by um, street food. And in London, England, there's a chef named Zoe, and she has a Ghanaian chop bar. And what it consists of is rice, peas, plantains, sometimes potatoes. And she did um, fried okra. 
And then she also had like fresh herbs and cilantro and the dried pepper. So me, of course, being Mississippian, I my mom makes tomato okra gumbo. Mm-hmm. She makes that all the time for special occasions. And so I thought that would be a way again to incorporate something global and something local, something familiar, and something nostalgic in that plate. So, and then I also fried okra and put on top. Nothing <laughs> like fried okra, but yeah, but okra Goes with is everything. in fact global. I mean, we think we own okra, but yes. you know, all over the world, you'll find you know okra. They think originated in Africa, but mm-hmm. you know, India has a real strong mm-hmm. okra tradition. Uh, in, in fact, I love Indian okra, okra like the uh, bindi masala, mm-hmm. and I love it how they they do the strips of okra yes. instead of cutting it cutting it crosswise. And that's how we fry ours actually at Fauna. For the crispy okra, we use pickled okra, and we cut it the long way. And then I use a um, a tempura type of batter so it's nice and crispy so it's not the cornmeal traditional fried okra it's more texturally along the line of a tempura hmm. and then we sounds, also yeah sounds delicious. fabuloso so also <laughs> speaking of okra we all know that the word gumbo comes from the african word yes. for okra mm-hmm. so we all go around talking about gumbo like yes. we made it up in our yard right but it's <laughs> it comes from the african mm-hmm. word for, for okra and we all Love the okra. And, Carol, you've got some uh, <clears throat> slime buster. Uh, some slime buster tips. Some I know, tips. You know, a lot of people uh, really uh, reject okra because mm-hmm. it's slimy. The sliminess, right. Or, or what they call in the cookbooks, mucilage, which is mm-hmm. not which is just yuck. <laughs> I say embrace, embrace the slime. Embrace the slime. And in, and in Cleveland, Mississippi, at Delta State, they embrace, embrace the, the okra, okra the in a big way. The okra, and we have already been reminded uh, <laughs> from one of our listeners today uh-huh. that we are murdering okra by doing all these things, that the fighting okra of mm. Delta State are, are it. But um, Virginia Willis, who, who uh, Enrica, you've probably run I into. Do. I'm a fan, I'm, of, I'm a fan of hers. But she was just in Austin. I missed her. She did... Um, a workshop there, and I wasn't able to see her. Well, I love her too, and yeah. she has top her top ten slime busting okay. tips. And the first is to I think about Ghostbusters. Is, 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 to, is to, who are you uh, gonna call? Ghostbusters. <laughs> she says, uh, choose small pods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, wash and dry the okra thoroughly, mm-hmm. very, very thoroughly. And she said, don't cut okra into pieces, but cook the whole pods if, mm. you, if you don't like slime. Mm-hmm. And she said, to reduce the slime factor, adjust the recipe in cooking time to use the whole pods. Mm-hmm. She said, add an acid like tomato or lemon juice. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, overcooking produces more slime, so don't overcook it. Cook okra quickly at high heat. And don't cover okra while cooking. Mm-hmm. So those are some slime busters. Chef, your take yes. on all of that? I, I agree. I, the one that I use a lot is um, the hot high temperature. Yeah, and because I sometimes I do slice it or cut it, and I just I found if I use a really hot skillet and put an oil put the oil in, and then immediately put the okra and stir fry it. Yeah, it just kind of it sears it and kind of the the slime that does come out it kind of coats the okra because the slime is good actually you oh, need yeah. the slime for the thickness and slime and the slime from the okra helps 
um, buying things. So it's, I think the slime connotation comes from the overcooking and what people visually think about when they think of okra. Um, Because we use a lot, when we cook the tomato okra gumbo, I saute the okra first and then I put everything else in. Then I do use the acid and tomatoes. Uh And so when we cook it all together, there is no slime. Um, And it's not soupy, but it's a nice stewy consistency. I love the seeds. I love it when they come out too. of the pod and cook yes. and get seared and yes. blackened. I love to eat those seeds. And if you get a larger pod of okra and the seeds are larger, I've used that as couscous. Oh, I treat it the same way as couscous. Oh, my goodness. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, Fabulous. people either love okra or they hate or they it. Hate it. Yeah. There's no middle ground kind with of like okra. cilantro. No ambivalence about okra. No. I love it. And it is my, it. it's my favorite We're dish. We're a fan club. Yes. <laughs> Fried okra is, is besides cheese straws, my, my favorite dish. And really? Lois Kennedy, uh, Donna Barksdale's mom, used to bring me okra for gifts, fried okra. Like oh, one time yeah. in Halloween, she had it wrapped in a little silver piece of cellophane. Um <laughs> All right, ladies, we could talk endlessly about okra and uh, corn. Enrica Williams, thank you for coming. We'll have you back. We're going to do a whole show on on the phenomenon of parlor marketing, Craig Noon. Absolutely. And get four or five of the chefs who come out of that explosion on Capitol Street (laughs) and all the great restaurants and great food that has evolved since then. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening, tuning in. If you uh, have questions anytime, you can go to our website and talk to us uh, through social media. This has been Deep South Dining, which is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. We're funded by generous contributions from listeners like yourself. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. And today's guests, Enrica Williams and Carol Puckett, have we've had a great time talking. Next up, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, then Southern Remedy at 11. Join us every Monday morning at 9 o'clock in the morning for Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio.